Good morning. Our scripture this morning is Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ through all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the just of the one who has faith in Jesus. And what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but the law of faith. couple of notes that I received in terms of um, some upcoming memorial funeral services, people who've passed away. Many of us know Alan Ray, and Alan Ray died this past Tuesday. I think I'm getting that, that right. And so there's going to be a service in early September is, is uh, the word that we have right now. Also received word that uh, many know Jessie Begbie, who died a number of years ago, uh, part of this congregation, her sister Catherine has died this week. And again, the service is going to be in September, so we'll keep you posted. We've taken up this series that we've called Junk Drawer. And the idea is, you, know, you can know how it works, right? We're assuming that most of you have a, at least one junk drawer in your house. Some of you have like a whole junk room, uh, depending on, you know, and you go into that junk drawer and you take something out, and I, I think of this as, as like a married couple sometimes, but it could be anyone in your house, you could be asking a kid or somebody else, and you take something out and you, and you say to the, the other one, can we throw this out? And the person says, I don't know. And it looks like the most useless thing, which means it might be terribly, terribly important. And so a lot of times you just put that back in the junk drawer. Uh, many times you're clearing out a junk drawer and it just feels fantastic because you get rid of a lot of things that you don't need. Uh, and at other times there are these hidden treasures. A little bit, it's not confession, it's not like we have a really messy house or anything, but I was in the cupboard in the bathroom upstairs. Uh, so this kind of is the, my cupboard, not really, but you know more of my stuff is in there. And I was going through, rifling through some stuff in there just a few days ago. And I saw a piece of paper. What's a piece of paper doing in a you know, bathroom cabinet? And so I picked it, and it was like uh, thin cardboard. I picked it up and looked, and it was a ticket for the Paralympic Games sledge hockey final in 2010. <laughs> in with the bathroom stuff. We didn't live in that house in 2010. <laughs> so the way, uh, yeah, the way I'm explaining it to myself is that, you know, you know when you're moving, and the last little bits, and you're like, just everything goes, somehow that ticket wound up there. Now, the interesting thing to me is, I just put it back. <laughs> so it's still there. In, in church 
history and in current church culture, which is broad, of course, one of the things that some people, it might sound interesting to many people who come from more of an evangelical tradition, but one of the things that some people are saying needs to be gotten rid of is the concept of sin. Um, in other words, we open up this junk drawer, this spiritual junk drawer, and some people are saying, you know, we used to talk so much more about sin, but we need to not do that anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying I agree with that because I don't actually, but I'm sympathetic to the view in that some of the ways in which we have spoken about sin have at times, and this wasn't the intent, but potentially driven people further away from Jesus Christ. And we have elevated certain concepts of sin, good and bad and right and wrong, at the expense of helping people to see that while we are all sinners, the message of Jesus Christ is something bigger than that. In other words, we can't just end there. One of my, and what I'm saying is that this concept of sin, and you have to think about this in terms of like emotion and feeling, the concept of sin is one that should for us, in a sense, become a little bit of a hidden treasure. Right. I can go back to this reminder that I am sinful, that all have sinned. This verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When I was younger, I memorized a lot of scripture, and I'm grateful that I did. And you should memorize scripture if you haven't. It's not too late. It's also just a good cognitive exercise. It'll help you. Um, But you have, you, you gain then somewhat of a scriptural imagination. And you see the world. You hold these verses. And even as I read this verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, some of you, I grew up in a Baptist church, some of you, depending on where you grew up, when that verse is read from the minister at the front, you can get kind of a negative feeling. I memorized this, but some of the frames in which it was taught to me, and I'm not saying people did this on purpose, though I think it was the culture, was kind of a, with a pointed finger, for all have sinned. And it was part of a larger presentation of the gospel, but it itself had kind of a darkness to it. And so it was like this necessary step in order to get to Jesus, in a sense, admitting my sin, which is true. But as I read that verse now in my spirituality, I see it as a treasure and something that is really beautiful for me to acknowledge, for all have sinned, and I say, including me, including me, and then the next part, but the gift of God. It's not where it ends with my sin. And so this is such a beautiful, life-giving verse. One of my favorite things this summer, we have this thing we're doing called What's This For? Like you find that thing in the junk drawer. And culturally, one of the things that you could say, What's This For? is um, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Do you remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Fred Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian minister who, in terms of discerning his call in faith, determined that for him, more important than leading a church as a pastor would be to help young people, to help children. At the time, he saw that much of children's entertainment was just ridiculous and silly, and he thought there was a need for something that talked to kids honestly. Still, there was play involved, but talked to kids even about some difficult topics. Uh, there's a film out right now that you need to go see. I don't often do this from the front, but you need to go see uh, a documentary film called Won't You Be My Neighbor? I think that's the title. Uh, And it's the story of Fred Rogers and this show. 
It's at Fifth Avenue, I think, is maybe the only place still in the city, unless it's expanded. But uh, that's a theater that, ironically, given that it's Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, no kids are allowed in the theater. It's a licensed establishment now, so it's lovely, though. You can go have a nice drink, watch the movie. Um, and when we went to see it, a number of us, we did hear, and I was caught up in it, no surprise to those of you who know me, um, but a lot of crying in the theater. Apparently in the United States where this is showing, there's theaters where there's just weeping. Something so simple, almost naive, in a culture that has seemed to become so coarse. Something like goodness. Just says to us, you got this wrong. You used to think he was naive, but he was on to something. Do you mind if I play for you the beginning? It's only a minute and a bit. This helps us to feel it. slow, eh? It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. <laughs> Since we're together, might as well say, Would you be mine? Would you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Please, please, won't you be my neighbor? There's, um, it, it is remarkable. I, I do recommend seeing it. And there's something about seeing it collectively with other people, including other people you don't know. But if, if you wait till it's out so you can watch it at home, whatever. Um, there's a segment that is mentioned in the film and then I've read a number of articles since, and, and each article seems to highlight this segment, where he'll say, he says to children that are seated there before me, he says, how long does a minute feel? And so then he takes out an egg timer, and he said, let's see how long a minute is. And he puts it to one minute, and he puts it on the table, and then nothing happens. One minute. Ding. See, I couldn't do it for you. You'd, be, you'd get impatient. They wait one minute, it dings, and he said, oh, that's what a minute feels like. There's something so tender about it. After the assassination of Robert Kennedy in 1968, it was one of the early shows in the run, Fred Rogers rewrote an episode uh, to address this. And in the episode, they talked to children about death and assassination. One of the most astounding scenes in the movie is of a disabled boy and his interaction with Fred Rogers. They're speaking. And not only is Fred Rogers blessing the boy and helping him, but he is listening to the child in such a way that he is receiving from the child. It's astounding to watch. 
during some of the civil rights riots in the United States when sides had so lined up. And I think it would be true to say, unfortunately, that much of what would be, I guess it would be the evangelical church, but the precursor, some of them, that more side of the political sphere would probably look at the riots in the inner cities and, you know, talk about those criminals and those, at times, veiled racism in the assessment. Well, what Fred Rogers did was, this is what he did. He rewrote an episode and made a character called Officer Clemens. He made an African-American man, a police officer, and that police officer came over and spoke with him. And then how subversive is this? They put their feet together in a wading pool and washed each other's feet. When I feel the energy of this, the power of this, how simple it is, I then turn to the verse for this morning. And I, in the Holy Spirit, feel something similar. I feel instead of what I picked up as accusation in my growing up, I feel this powerful call to acknowledgement of reality, even hard reality. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, but it's not the end of the story. And that's how I want this in your head. I want it in my head in that way, in my thoughts. This is treasure, not something to be rid of. All have sinned. What is sin? Uh, when I was growing up, sin, you know, the most famous definition that, that pastors would say is missing the mark. Right? Do you remember that one? It's, it's there. It's just not complete. And what it did for young minds like mine is it made me think that sin was primarily ethical. And being a young man growing up, there's lots of things I did wrong. I mean, I don't do any wrong things anymore. But back then, all kinds of things. And so if I was taught sin was missing the mark, so what do I do? Well, I better not miss the mark. And inadvertently, what the people who were teaching me this did was they, they, they created a culture in which I thought, well, if I can get to be good, see what I mean? And then I, I would look at other people around me who maybe weren't battling sin in the same way. And even though I wasn't super crazy judgmental or anything like that, I would think, well, I'm better than them. And so standards were created in culture and in church culture that you had this sense of, well... And you remember it, right? Or you have felt it, some of you. So-and-so, they're sinning. And so there is this distance created between, if that's the only thing you think, that it's ethical, that it's missing the mark, good or good behavior or bad behavior. We, each of us, because of this kind of teaching, think that sin is primarily ethical. So it's about bad things. Good things, bad things as opposed to good things. But sin in Scripture is not primarily an ethical concept. And so it's difficult. All have sinned, that is true. But this is a concept that is not simply about right and wrong. It's about God and humanity. It's important to understand this. And the story of God and humanity is that while all have sinned, Jesus Christ has given his life so that all may know the fullness of life in God. It's about God and humanity. So when you go to creation... And most of you know the creation accounts in Scripture. Many of you do, or you know kind of fables thereof. How did God create? He spoke the world into being, right? God said, well, one of the first, let there be light. 
Remember that? And God spoke and he spoke. And you get plants and oceans and light and humanity spoken. And I can teach you this, but some of you learn it better by simply going for a walk. Now you need the scripture and the teaching, but it comes to life for you when, like me, you're out for a bike ride or you're out for a walk and you see this beautiful place in which we live and all of a sudden you learn what it means that God spoke the world into being. And when God spoke, you remember, those, those of you who are either you know, decent Sunday school students or read your Bibles at all, he said, let there be, and there was, and he said that it was good. Right? We know that, right? Well, it's not exactly a perfect translation. Some here would know that. The meaning for this word tov, good, uh, substantial sometimes in a way, is the, the real meaning, the better translation, but it doesn't work in our English, is, and he saw that it was good for. See how it doesn't work? But that's actually what it says. And he saw that it was good for. In other words, that which he spoke into creation had a purpose beyond itself. It was good for something bigger and more than itself. The creation is dynamic and connected. Now, the concept ethically of sin doesn't really do a lot in that regard. If I think, well, I'm trying to live better than missing the mark, I actually can become more judgmental towards other people and create a distance, and to be frank, I'm not very good for them. And we've seen how the world has reacted to this kind of understanding of sin. In large part, the world has said, if that's how you're going to relate to us with this kind of judgment and judgmentalism, we're not interested. Which I think is, in many ways, the proper reaction. How are we good for the world? And so then we do a quick Bible tour, very quick. And so God calls a people and creates a people and makes a nation. And you have the people moving from uh, Egypt into the Promised Land. And at Sinai, where the Ten Commandments are given, he makes them into a nation. And this, this Ten Commandment document, this Decalogue, is again not primarily an ethical document. It's primarily a worship document. But it is to these people, this is how you are good for. Don't lie. <laughs> Don't cheat. Don't covet. Don't want what's not yours. Because if you do, what happens? You've broken the good for. For humanity at large to be good for. And sin, in its theological frame, is whatever breaks this community and this good for-ness. That is why, and some of you have felt this acutely over the years. That is why religious sin is so dangerous and has a particular intensity to it. Because sin breaks community, divides and hurts and accuses. And we begin to act as if the sin that is worth talking about is the sin of other people. Or churches begin to think that the problem in the world is the sin of the world as opposed to the sin within the church. I was at St. Timothy's this morning preaching a similar message and I was praying for people, most of them I know fairly well, and I saw a man who I know and I saw after we thought about sin, I saw his face soften and this picture came into my mind. 
You can picture it in terms of how people even in a church would relate to one another. Let's say we have people who disagree in a church. And as soon as that happens, you, you get to a place where your posture can become, well, I have to win against this other person. I have to convince or I have to. And if it gets really thorny, you can think about what that other person has done wrong. Of course, this understanding of sin in the theological frame calls us to say, and it would be a lot more like this, where in those kinds of contexts you would say, with self-reflection of your own sin, you would say something like, I know I can be like this, before you start the conversation. In other words, you ask God to open your eyes to your own sin, rather rather than to the sin of the other person. Now, it's a hardened face that becomes aware of the sin of another person. The hardest kind of face has an awareness of your own sin, but denies it instead of acknowledging it. You know what I mean? It's, it's a terrible feeling, isn't it? When you're aware of your own sin, but you're like, I am not going to admit this, and I'm going to redouble my efforts in going against that other person. But the softness that comes when you accept for yourself, for all have sinned, and that softness will show in your face, and all of a sudden you are open to the other person. Now, moving forward as a church, all the decisions we have to make. Do you know, I, I know this 100%, and I'll tell you, that if we get this one right, there will be better things built than any wall or building. If we can become the people who are marked by an awareness first of our own sinfulness. We don't even reflect upon the others. The interesting thing is that as you do that, other people can see their own sin often. Sin is is the disruption in this good intention in the community and in the relationship between God and people. A theologian was asked, what does it mean to be human? And he answered... Look to Jesus. In other words, the answer is, if you want to know what it's like to be human, what it's like to to be truly human, as humanity was intended, get the answer? If you want to know what it's like to be human, look to Jesus. And then the questioner said, but that doesn't really help because Jesus never sinned. That's not human. And the theologian said, no, no, no. You are less than human. What they, they weren't denying the humanity of the person. They were acknowledging it, saying, you have the potential to be more than this. Jesus is the one true human. He shows us what humanity ought to be. It is us that have distorted and degraded that. We have been less than good for while he has been entirely good for. He is the living word. So back to the hidden treasure. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and my young ears hearing that, and all of a sudden turning to the question being, what have I done wrong? I become self-centered even and sometimes in my self-reflection because I was hearing it as an accusation instead of an invitation, as revelation and realization and gift. The glory of God is humanity as intended. And what might that look like if you want to know what it looks like Christian faith will say you look to Jesus Christ. All else have fallen short of that. I have and you have. I am in myself less than I ought to be. But the good news is that in Jesus Christ, I can be redeemed and be a new creation. 
God miraculously feeds the people in the desert. He gives them food to eat as they travel from slavery to freedom from Egypt to the promised land. And he tells them, don't take more than you need for one day. And when there's the Sabbath, the day of rest, he says, take enough for two days, but don't take any more. And what do the people do? Well, I know you know exactly what they do because we do the same thing. We say, and now it's even a virtue. (laughs) We're going to darn well make sure we have enough forever. And for them, it rots in their teeth. So I'm going to confess a sin to you. And I'm aware that as I say I'm about to confess a sin, some people can get rather nervous. Um, I remember being part of breaking of bread services years ago and here at Sutherland, the old building, and a couple of occasions, and I won't even tell you what they were, there'd be like a young guy, I don't know, young being 30s, so for me at the time, that was an older guy, but, um, and, and he would stand up and he would confess sin, and it was sin that made people embarrassed. And the whole congregation was just down like this, right? So I'm not going to confess that kind of sin, um, and this is nowhere near the worst sin that I commit, and, you know, Mostly you won't hear about those worst ones, at least from the front. The other day, a week and a bit ago, I was riding my bike. That's not the sin, that's virtue. And I ride my bike most days, and two of the rides that I do often, one is to Horseshoe Bay and back, and another is from like around UBC. Those two stretches of road uh, feature some of the most expensive real estate in Canada and indeed the world. Um, and they cause for me a great occasion for sinfulness. So, for example, when I'm going around UBC, I see a lot of those signs that say, there's like big protest signs on the houses, or like on the, not the houses, the houses are so far back you can't really see them, but, you know, out the end of the driveway that say, the NDP government is taking away our hard-earned wealth, and I'll like say something like, no, they're not. A huge part of your wealth was just because you own that house. But anyway, that's me. But that's kind of sinful. But that's not the real sin that I'm going to confess. The other day I was riding to Horseshoe Bay a week and a bit ago. And it's a little bit hilly. And from here to there, this is the direction I was going. And on both stretches of road, like UBC, that that Marine Drive, and then Horseshoe Bay, they're always tearing down houses and rebuilding. That's part of how wealth works. You buy something, oftentimes it's like, that's like a super nice house. Tear it down put something bigger up. And so at the top of kind of one of these hills, so I was tired as I was getting up there. It was hot, I remember. And I was like pushing, feeling like good, but still, you know, maybe a little shorter fuse. And at the top of the hill, they're building this house that takes up the whole hill. And then it goes down where I probably can't see how big it is. It's worth a lot of money. And I think the homeowner was visiting the site to kind of check or something. I think she must have been the homeowner. And so this super big, huge, expensive house in construction. And then she had a Tesla. And the Tesla was not a cheap Tesla. It was like one of the more expensive Teslas. And it was parked half blocking the road. Right. Thanks be to God. That's all I said. <laughs> so now I am aware that in no way in her life is she even noticing that I exist probably as a cyclist unless she's upset at me or whatever that's judgment right there but anyway so I'm coming up the hill and I'm just I just crest the hill enough that I'm able to through kind of (sighs) right deep breaths to say something oh no she comes out of her or from around behind the car actually to get into her awesome Tesla 
and she is wearing money. I'm serious. Like, she is wearing clothes. The only reason the clothes exist is to say how expensive they are. But they're, like, casual, too. And I'm sinning right now. Anyway, she comes out. She doesn't notice me. She's not looking at me, but I'm looking over there. And just, and I know I did it so that she could hear me. I told Jen otherwise, but sorry, Jen. She said, did she hear you? I'm like, I don't think so. Um, As I crested the hill, I just sang a song. I went, money, 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 money. (laughs) And just kept riding. I think she probably was like, where did that come from? (laughs) And then, um, not too much later in my ride, because I pray all the time when I'm riding. I was convicted. God said, you failed to see her as I see her. Even if she's not seeing herself that way, it's not on you. I have way worse sins than this, but This one's bad enough that it was, in its way, a kind of hatred. It wasn't jealousy. That's not me with those things. At worst, I dehumanized her. It wasn't good for anything. How do I know it was sinful? Because of Jesus Christ. That's how I know. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it is where the grace of God is encountered that sin is revealed. And I, not that in this encounter I provided no opportunity for an encounter with the grace of God. Any dehumanizing or diminishing of this good for is sinful. And Jesus simply never did this. He was without sin. He did not dehumanize people like I do all the time. I need forgiveness, and I'm grateful for the gift of repentance. So when I hear, for all have sinned, knowing Jesus Christ, I know the treasure that that acknowledgement is. Where the grace of God is encountered, sin is revealed. Simply seeing Jesus, how he loves me and who he is, reveals my own for all have sinned and fallen short. But I don't see Jesus, this is the beautiful thing, as accusatory. It is his goodness that allows me to see my sin. It's astounding. We have this gift before the world. Why would we lead with negative attack, accusation, If we become more and more a people who are mindful of our own sinfulness, first in our own hearts, secondly in our own relationships and families, thirdly in our own church community, and finally in the larger community, if we become known as the kind of people, not beating ourselves up, but honestly saying, yes, us first, all have sinned, then we might become more of a blessing in the world. Compared with Jesus Christ, we all stand in our corruption 
and our fallenness. So some of my favorite people in this Christian faith are people who died long before any of us were here. They become known as the Desert Fathers. There are people who left the city in parts of what would have been Egypt and Syria and other places and went out into the desert to battle their own sin, or they would say in the language of the day to battle the demons. And they were also very engaged with culture, some of them even leading churches. And they would have novice Christians come to them and ask for advice. And one of the sections of the sayings of these desert fathers and mothers is, is titled On Compunction. Can, you, can I give you a new word for this week and this year? Uh, compunction, C-O-M-P-U-N-C-T-I-O-N, compunction. And what it means is a cut to the heartedness it, that we should feel compunction in our lives. Like, by God's grace, not my own doing, I felt, maybe not enough to not use the story in a funny way, but at least I felt over that small behavior that compunction itself is a gift. So there's a whole section in these old sayings from hundreds of years ago titled On Compunction. They're filled with things like this. Be aware of your own sin. Quote, To be servant of all is not to look out for the sins of others. Ever to look out for your own sins and to pray to God without ceasing. A young man comes to a desert father and he says... Because the desert fathers and mothers were known as the, those advanced in the spiritual life, and particularly in the charismatic spiritual life. There was a lot of like um, flashes and lightning and lang- uh, special language and appearances of angels and demons. And So a young man comes to a desert father and says, how is it that some people say they see angels? Now what is he asking? He's saying, what? I want to see an angel. In other words, I'm living this spiritual life, but I think if I could see an angel, then I'd really grow. And this desert father gives a great answer. How is it that some people have seen angels, the young man asks, and the desert father says, blessed is he who always sees his own sin. Seeing an angel will do nothing compared to knowing your own sinfulness. In other words, if you want to know God and grow spiritually... Don't try to see angels by God's grace. If some supernatural thing happens, it's great. But try to see your own sin. On one occasion, there's a lot of stories like this. There must have been a lot of kicking people out of churches back in that day. It's interesting because some of you still have a memory of this. Some of you would have been in churches where there's people are pulled up to the front and they have to confess sin and then they're removed from leadership or in my time, I don't remember anybody actually being kicked out of the church. Maybe we'll get back to that. But anyway, um, apparently people used to be kicked out of churches too. Like your sin and, you, and, you, and that's it. And back in this day, there was a fair bit of that, I guess. And one of these desert fathers who also played the role as somewhat of a pastor of one of the churches, like a priest, a minister, the local bishop had come to town. And the local bishop and those in the congregation were running a meeting. And that meeting was focused on someone's sin. This person was brought before the community, they were disciplined, and they were going to be kicked out of the church. And so this desert father, who's part of the leadership of the church as well, is there. Abba Basarian was his name. And as the bishop pronounces this, and the people basically give their assent, and then the person who had done the sinning is kicked out. 
the priest was sitting somewhere in the congregation and stood up, or maybe at the front, I don't know, stood up and walked out with the condemned person. And as they were leaving the place, the gathering, somebody hollered out, where are you going? What's happening? Because this man was supposed to walk out and be kicked out on his own. And the priest turned around and said, I thought this was the time we were kicking out sinners. And it's the end of the little story in the sayings of the Desert Fathers. Would we pray for this? That we would have eyes to see that this is a gift, a treasure to know? Can you feel it now, even in the Holy Spirit? When I say, and you think of yourself, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, And I say, yes, I'm included. But the gift of God is eternal life. May God give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Let us pray. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We see often reaction in the world and in the church to things that may have been well-meaning and accomplished much good. But would you give us, as we move forward, a healthy view of what sin means and a healthy perspective that we are to look to our own, even in, in any given conversation, even if we're not talking about it, but even as we speak to somebody else, that we would be aware of our own sinfulness. And in this, would you build your church for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ? in whose name we pray. Amen.